I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hi everyone, it's Arlen. It's your first million. Ooh, there's been oh, such fun interviews the last few ones. I mean, all of the interviews are fun to me, but the last few have just been one after the other. Learned so much and it's been a real thrill. So today we continue that tradition with Yao Huang. And this one's funny because Yao came over to my house over the weekend. She's from New York, lives in New York, and she was visiting L.A. for some business. And we had a meeting on the schedule and we started talking and like five minutes in. I'm like, ah, I got to I got to record this because she was just dropping so much so many gems and so much information, like really great information and such a great point of view about things. And I felt, man, this is going to be really relatable to a lot of people who listen to some of the VCs, venture capitalists that I interview, or some of the people who are millionaires that I interview. This is for people who have companies or want to have companies where you're selling a product, you're selling a service, and it's, a, it's not about raising money, going out and knocking on these doors to raise money. It's about your revenue being what helps you grow, your sales acumen and your product. And you'll see what I mean with this interview. Um, I think it's a great counter to a lot of what headlines we read. And it's more like Main Street. You know, it's more, it's less kind of the fantasy world that I think I live in, in the, in the venture space. And it's a lot more relatable. So you'll see it's still big dollar amounts we're talking about. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun to listen to this, I hope. And I, Yao is just such a great sport because I said, let's do an, inter- let's do an interview on the podcast. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that room in there is a podcast room. She's like, oh, okay. And then we just go in here and just press record. And what you're about to hear is the fruits of that. Uh, just to catch you up, I'm having a busy week. I think this week and every other week until probably the end of the year is going to be, are going to be um, just insane because of everything that's going on. There's backstage tour, this tour that I'm going on with my company, Backstage Capital and Backstage Studio. We're going all over the country and the U.S. and beyond. And we're starting in May. You can go to backstagecapital.com slash tour 2020 to hear about more about that. Also doing the book tour. All of the dates on the backstage tour are book tour dates. And then there's going to be additional ones. Those are in other cities. The book comes out in May. As you, If you've listened to this ever, you know that. <laughs> I haven't stopped talking about it. There's all of that. We have 130 companies that we've invested in. 
We speak to probably three or four of those companies a day. And the team and I, we put a lot of our efforts into being helpful if we can um, to the next steps and the next milestones. And then there's a lot of internal strategy going on that um, any kind of headline that you read about me or backstage or any kind of major thing that happens, you're hearing about it months, weeks, sometimes years after it was put in play. And that's what's happening right now. So everything that you know about us, just wait. That's all I have to say. Just wait. I am I am excited about that. I also, on the personal side, had a, I don't even know what to call it. It was a, it was a really rough, a rough few days over the weekend just because um, something, a tragedy struck my family. Everybody's okay, but tragedy struck. And, and so we had, we had to deal with that and still dealing with that. And at the same time, I was getting like all this internet hate from certain groups and not publicly, but like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like stuff that was happening publicly. That was just like a, a argument, which was fine. Some stuff was happening on top of that behind the scenes. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it's piling on. And I just mentioned this to say that even in the best times of my career, things can be happening behind the scenes in best times of your career, the way people see your Instagram posts, you can still be going through stuff. If you want to hear more about that kind of vein of talking uh, or that kind of conversation, go back to the Journey Smollett interview that I did, I don't know, two or three weeks ago when Birds of Prey came out. I mean, she says it herself. Can you imagine like Journey? I mean, she we didn't get into this at all, but you you can read between the lines and, and saying that her life has been pretty rough the past couple of years, a year and a half. At the same time, her career has been booming. And how do you kind of go between both of those things? And um, I just always, 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 no matter what I'm doing, I want to be catalyzing. I want to be helping. And I don't want to be saving anymore. I've I've learned the savior complex thing, but I, I do want to be catalyzing. So anytime, anytime I mention my successes or my downfalls or anything in between, publicly like this, it's because I want it to hopefully be helpful to somebody. It's not going to be helpful to everybody. And it just, it just um, uh, attracts even more bad vibes from some people. For some reason, they just, they just hate to see some people winning, you know, um, or not winning. I don't know. I really don't get it. But, uh, but the point is not those few who are detractors and who have an issue. The point is the ones that are getting something from it. So right now, if you're getting something from this, it's worth it to me. That's all that matters. All right. I hope you enjoy this interview. Please let me know what you think. Leave comments, Instagram, Twitter. See me when you see me out um, when we're, we're on tour and at speaking engagements. I'm just enjoying the hell out of this. So thanks, everybody. I'm Yao Huang. I'm the managing partner of The Hatchery, where this year we built Diana Capital. First thing I know about you is Hatchery, The Hatchery. Yes. And I know that you've been in like the venture space, in the more so than venture space, in the entrepreneur space, like yeah. working for entrepreneurs. Yep. Building trying, companies. Yeah. For years. So talk just a little bit about that, if you would. So... I'm an operator, uh, an entrepreneur originally anyway, and love rolling up my sleeves and helping other companies. And so for the last 13 years, Hatchery has helped build out the tech ecosystem in New York, bringing together resources from academia, government, corporate, 
and all the investors and entrepreneurs and mushing them together and making things more accessible. And in the last few years, we've been running an incubation program where we look at founders who are very technical. Maybe they're really good at building things, but not so great at the business aspect. We'll step in and help run revenue and finance and just drive and be co-founders with them. So we'll do a, a couple a year, and it's been really fun coming together as a team from our side and their side, tackling different problems around machine learning, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and yeah. just cutting edge tech. In my view, this is like a, a that portion of it would be like a studio, a startup studio, a venture studio yes, model. Yes, LA speak. Yes, yes, <laughs> LA speak, and and just after I mean, we started actually studio a couple of years ago because I was so enamored by places like Pioneer Square Labs and and BetaWorks and all of that. So part of what I want to talk to you about is the fact that you have kind of done what I like to do, and sometimes people misconstrue it or don't don't quite get me at the time. It sounds like you have adapted to their situation and done the thing that is most helpful at the time, not so beholden to what it's called or, you know, when you're ahead of the curve a little bit, it sounds a little strange to other people. So when you were talking about studios or whatever you were calling it, were people getting that or have you always been kind of at the moment or before the moment? I'm like, good timing, actually. Like Just a little bit before everyone else starts to jump in. In that I just kind of listen to what the people need. In this case, it's entrepreneurs. What are the problems? What do they need? And forget everything else and just address the problem. And the problem I saw early and what many are seeing is that when a company is starting, they don't have resources. They can't pay you. And no one wants equity in like something that's just starting. You have to really believe in it, right? And so it depends on how much they've accomplished. And when it's a bunch of engineers or just technical people trying to solve big problems, they may only have gotten some things done, but whatever they've done, you can see the beginnings of. And it requires vision to see ahead. And they really need people to believe in them, but more so, they need a corporation or something bigger to put some money down and buy their product, not invest in them. Right? Invest does not mean revenue. These companies need to make money. Money is proof that you should exist. Therefore, other investors may want to come in to drive that further. The different stages of investing is really just a group's comfort level with whatever you've accomplished up to that time. So a bit later, they just want to see you do a lot more. But then they'll pay extra for that. You yeah. know. But in the beginning, no one believes in these people. And so I wanted to believe them because I thought that was where new things were coming, where I'm going to see something different, not the 20th version of something. You got to start that early. By the time it gets to the end, 20 people have jumped on top. It's not so shiny anymore. And I believe in them and I believe in smart people. And so I wanted to play there and brought together a team of people who also believed in that. And we pushed these companies forward first with let's make some money. Let's get you some customers on the corporate side. And then let's bring in some more money. And we'll put in some seed money in the beginning when no one else will. Yeah. And how do you hedge your bets there at the beginning? Because it is absolutely, I mean, that's music to most people's ears right now. Whoever's listening to this are like, man, I wish I had someone like that. But the reason that it doesn't happen as often is because it is considered risky. How do you make it, how do you de-risk that as a, as a person doing it? I take that? a product before we engage. I go in, just kind of interview or get the thoughts of a bunch of potential customers 
right? Because eventually you're going to have to hit these people up. So before I even get myself in there, I call my friends who are CMOs of a bunch of companies. And we're going to stop there. CMOs, what does that stand for? Chief marketing officers or chief technology officers. Basically, some person in a large corporation who would have a decision-making power on your product if you were if you were to go to them. So I'll just go to them first, have a conversation, and see what they think. They may say, hey, we're never going to buy things like that because we've got 20 of these things. And yeah, it may not be better, but we already sunk that money in. Or they might say, no, it's a bit too early that we would need to see these other things or that doesn't fit. Basically, it's kind of doing a focus group yeah. in a more informal way because they're not going to do it in that way. And just talk to these potential buyers as to whether or not they would even go this route. Yeah. And with that insight, we then make our decision. And another way to de-risk this is that, and this is something that no one wants to do, which is you got to roll your sleeves up, get in there and do work. This is with, a lot of- With the f- with company. We're, we act like co-founders. We will work. And it's that that makes this less risky because we have a little bit more control than just waiting for a bunch of t- engineers to maybe come up with the best pitch or do something they're not comfortable with. Because that's the other half that m- people don't can't do everything. You're not good at everything. Okay. I'm not saying I know how to code. I don't. Right. Actually, no one on our team knows how to code. We understand technology. We have a conversation about it. I can talk to an engineer, but I need them to be the geniuses in there. And they need us to have the contacts to be able to walk into a C- C-suite officer and have that meeting quickly and, and be able to interact with them. They can in fact, I don't want to spend three months coaching them how to talk and dress and behave and how to answer questions. It's too much time. Just like they don't want to spend three years teaching me how to code. There's no need to do that. Just bring in professionals and experts who can form a team. That's the whole point of a team. So it's not for everyone because some people are going to want to start that thing from scratch and build it into the thing that they envision with their team. The trade-off is that they have to go out there and look for money uh, if they're not looking at revenue first, which more should, and they have to kind of be in that rat race. And you sort of saying, look, I'm going to be in the HOV lane. I'm going to be in that lane that bypasses all of that. And we're going to, it's almost like reverse engineering everything, it is. right? Whatever you believe, at some point, you can't build whatever you want to build in a black box. You're going to have to talk to the market. So we're just going ahead and do that. And even if you already finished building it, we want to talk to the market so that this thing fits them. You know, you can't squeeze what you built into the customer. They're going to tell you what they want. You either adjust or it takes you longer to sell or you're going to have to be cheaper. Somehow it corrects itself. And fundraising, not everyone can just walk up to someone with a PowerPoint and just get money. Right. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are disadvantages for large groups of people. Yes. But I think what really drives attention from investors is success, is some traction, some metrics that you sold something, you built something, you have some team, other people who also believe in you. Like you're going to have to build all that out. That doesn't just come magically. You have to make phone calls, have meetings, persuade. That's a whole other skill sometimes engineers don't have. Yeah. So it's either you put in the work and the time years and years and years to create that brand equity yourself, or you have the wherewithal to align yourself with people who already have it, who share your views. And either way makes you a good leader, in my view. It should be. Yeah. I think building a company is a team effort. So that's what you that's part of what you do. And and you mentioned early when you when you introduced yourself that you are working on Diane Capital. Can you talk more about what that is? So this year 
we just launched Diana Capital. Diana Capital. Yes, it's the secret identity of Wonder Woman. And we did nice. this. <laughs> we did this for women. It's a, a large fund made available to women businesses in a way that we didn't reinvent any wheel. Okay. It's basically loans to women businesses against their purchase order. And not everyone understands what that means, mm. but this is a huge shift in thinking for a lot of businesses who think that venture capital is the only way to get money, mostly because the faces of those CEOs are magazines, there's movies made about them, you talk about IPOs and it's big and fancy, WeWork, Lyft, Uber, you know, all, Casper, all these big companies, right, with, oh, we raised $500 million, raised a billion dollars, yeah. sounds really sexy. It's not applicable to every business. Yes, and every one that you just listed has an issue right now. With their IPO. And, and it's, I mean, it's, yes. it's public knowledge. So, you know. And some have done well going down this route. And Absolutely. Some have, yeah. I mean, I, I shouldn't interrupt you there, but when I say that some of them have issues, it's not looking at it with uh, a, a German word that I should be able to say, Schadenfreude. I'll have Anna, my wife, tell me how to say it better. She's German. Hi, it's Anna. And it's pronounced Schadenfreude. It's not looking at it like that. It's it, you go through these ups and downs and dips. So it isn't all the highlight reel yep. <laughs> that we see in the flashy movies. And there's different pressures. Once you take that money, you're expected to grow at an exponential rate that is unnatural to most businesses. Right. If I told you a business was growing at 30 percent year over year, you'd be like, wow, that's doing really well. It's not doing well for a venture. They want to see huge multiples. Yeah. Why? It's not that. They want to see 10x a month. Yeah, they want because I mean, 10, 10. they need to get their returns maybe five, seven, 10 years, hopefully not that long for them. And they need to see this thing hockey stick. And so if your company is not ready to hockey stick or is not building a product that can hockey stick, then they're not interested. It's not that you're doing something bad. It's the parameters by which their fund is set up requires that. And it only happens to some companies. And so in fact, there's $130 billion of venture money available in the U.S. It only goes to 2% of companies. So what happens to the 98% available uh, just companies out there? And this fund that we have now allows us to look at everyone, whether you're a pottery company, a hot chili sauce company, you're making shoes, you're making jewelry. You're all okay to me now because I can listen to all of you. All I need you to do is show me a purchase order, your ability to sell, and I'll lend, it, lend you against that. Mm. Which is great. I don't care your 10-year plan. I just want to know that you're not going to die next year. Oh. So you can pay me back. I guess there's no way to predict that, though. <laughs> is uh, there? Do yeah. you do medical records? How do you do it? <laughs> I don't mean physically die. Oh, I mean your yes. company bankruptcy, oh, yes. I'm, right? I'm, and you look at the books, right? And you look at people. And we, and we found a couple of ways. And there's a lot of businesses that have been borrowing money for centuries. Microfinancing has been around where it's been $50, $100 to women businesses yeah. in developing countries. This has been going on for a long time. Is this any different than factoring? This is factoring. This is factoring. Yes. Um, and are you able to be competitive with your rates? Yes. Yeah. So far, as we've been talking to companies, they're very receptive to the rates we're offering. And the rates are based on risk. So I can give you a less lesser rate, just reduce the risk for me. And so... The big issue is, isn't all this, is that let's say you're doing a business that's selling out of your inventory every month. And then, wow, your business biz dev guy went out there and got a $10 million contract with Target. It takes 50% of the product cost, the cost of goods, to go make the product. That means you need $5 million in this example in order to take that contract, or you can't take it. So if you don't have $5 million, 
Well, you're not worth $5 million, so you can't even borrow that from a bank. And it'd take you six to nine months, even if you can get an investor on board. You're stuck. You'd have to turn down that contract. So all we're trying to say is, look, we like that contract. Let me advance you the money so you can go make this, so you can make some money. And then we make sure that you have profit at the end so that you can grow. Now you just made a $5 million deal. The value of a company goes up. You take a couple more of these. You can go then take all of these new metrics, go raise money. You can sell your company. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want with it. Maybe at some point you made enough profit. You don't need money from us. Great. And I just think- for people, so people understand, if that example had taken a different route and asked for angel investors or venture investors to come in for that same amount, they would now be out of a significant amount of equity. A lot more. So let's say you're only worth a million dollars. Now you want to take, you want to borrow. You want to get investors for five million. First of all, may not be possible because maybe more than the valuation of your company. It might take six to nine months. By that time, Target's like, where's my stuff? No deal for you. You have to turn that deal down. Also, let's say you were doing this because Target really likes your candles and investors don't want to back a candle company. You're out. And so there's a lot of this. This this is a problem that happens to 98% of companies. Yeah. And so we want to just have an option. And we're not the only ones out there. There's plenty. We're just ones that are more focused for the underdog, for women, for minorities, for people who others may not look at. This episode is brought to you by me, Arlen, the host. And I'm going to use this time to promote my book, It's About Damn Time, which is now available in pre-order. It comes out May 5th, 2020. You can order it at itsaboutdamntime.com. That's I-T-S aboutdamntime.com. Thanks. This conversation, I think, is a lot more relatable than a lot of the venture conversations that I have for my audience and for a lot of people in the U.S. and beyond, because there are going to be more people who start companies that way, where making six, seven figures a year is a big success and is not a disappointment because you didn't make that venture capitalist richer yeah. by their standards. Uh, so it. It sounds really cool. It also sounds like it gives a great incentive to do a great job having a great product. Yes. So that you can sell, get the purchase orders, and then you just sort of backed for your own work, but just kind of advanced. And as I said earlier, and we were talking off this uh, recording, debt is something that I've been looking at with Backstage, my firm, and, and talking to a couple of other firms about and hopefully being helpful there. So can you t- say numbers? Can you say what someone, if they took a million from you, what they would have to pay back? Anywhere from 10 to 20%. Per year? Per, per total? deal. Per deal. Yeah. And what kind of time period do they have? No more than six months. Okay. So it's a, it's a fast turnaround. Here's the thing. Target said, I want $2 million of stuff from you. Yes. So you need to borrow a million from me, let's say, because it costs a million to make this stuff. Okay. That means Target's waiting for this. How long is it going to take you to get this stuff? To tar- Not a year. Hopefully soon, right? And the reason why it takes longer, so, so let's say it gets you a month to get this stuff to Target. Target doesn't pay you right away. It might take 90 days, 120. They're slow. That's right. So part of the reason why it's taking so long isn't because you're, it's going to take you four months to make it and ship it. It's that we're all waiting to get paid. And so you didn't give me any money. I'm just waiting for Target to pay the bill so that I can get my principal back with a little interest, and then you can get your profit back. Mm-hmm. And that in that transaction, everybody wins. You made money off of something you didn't have. Target got their goods, and we played a role, helped you out, and we also made a little money. 
So everybody wins. And what type of, uh, I keep trying to say investments, they're not investments, but what kind of, kind loans. of what sort of loans do you do? Like what, what is the basement amount and how much has it gone up to? We prefer to do on the low end about $100,000 and up. We have deals for $40 million as well. Mm-hmm. It just really depends on— It just on depends the, on what is needed. Yeah. Is it always a product? Is it sometimes a— Women—here's the thing. Okay. Women tend to start companies that they know. A lot of them happen to be product companies. Jewelry, fashion, beauty, wellness, mommy products, baby products, mm-hmm. food— if you look across the country, and I don't mean L.A. and New York, I mean Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Florida, Denver. You're looking at every woman and what are they thinking and what are they building? And there's lots of this stuff. Yeah. The woman who became a multimillionaire putting oil of essence into a bottle, poopery, so that your toilets can smell better. Mm-hmm. Multi-million. Mm-hmm. So no, there's no judgment on anyone as to what it is good or is bad. All we care about is... Do large groups want to buy this? Yeah. And if they do, great. A a group called ClearBank that some people might be familiar with, they have a very specific stipulation that you must use the money for marketing Mm -hmm. uh, because there's this crazy, I can't remember if it's like 30 or something percent of all venture money really just goes back into Facebook because it's about ads. It's so crazy. But they have that very strict stipulation. Do you have any stipulations? Do you watch what the money is used for? We're... We care that the money is being used to make the thing that generates a purchase order. So let's say candles. Target wants to buy candles from you. We're going to cut a check to your manufacturer of your candles. I see. So I don't give the money to you because I don't know what's going to happen. It's good right? to know. To, mm-hmm. to make things a little less risky, I'm going to give it to the guy who makes your candles. Because just in the end, just a wire transfer. It's your bank or his bank. If I give it to you, you're supposed to give it to him. So I'm just making it more direct. Mm-hmm. And that makes it, that takes out a lot of risk. So then I know he got the money yeah. and we just need to go check that he's going to make this, ship it, and then we just wait. That's, it's very interesting. And, yeah. and how long have you been lending out of that pot of money? Lucky you, we're fresh. Like oh. we just opened this month. Hey, everybody, listen up. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, this podcast is not a backstage capital podcast. It's an indie podcast. But I often talk about my fund and firm backstage. And we have 130 plus companies now. 50 to 60 percent of them are products and in that uh, vein. And um, absolutely. There are so many times we get a phone call or we get an email frantic. And it's like, great news. We just got this buyer of this thing that we do when nobody said that we could do it. And we just got a huge buyer. We have no way of paying it. Can we get another investment? And we're out of dry powder, you know, most of the year. We get chunks of money (laughs) and then we deploy it. And then we help people raise more money outside of us. But in that moment when they need it then... That's when you start thinking, you try to get creative and you say, well, who is not going to poach them as an investor? And then it it becomes really uh, um, tough. And so I talked to ClearBank and I talked to a lot of debt uh, people and started really thinking about it for for us. I love it when it is friendly, friendly capital. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we tend to want to only work with friends. Okay. So. Is that exclusionary though? No. So. Uh, A lot of the companies, so two levels, companies and partners, the companies that come to us, either we know them or our friends know them. And luckily also for the last 13 years, we've been running a Wonder Woman dinner series now in 20 cities. So you have more friends. We have (laughs) 8,000 women in 20 cities all over 
that are included. In the last three weeks, just calling a number of friends from venture capital firms, private equity firms, women co-working spaces, all sorts of ecosystem groups in lots of cities. We have about 100 partners right now that believe in us, that want to help their communities. And I trust them. I know them. So when they say, hey, talk to Jane, I'll listen because I don't, who is this wacko off the street? I don't want that. (laughs) Plus I have to vet everyone. It's much easier. It's either friend Jane or wacko. (laughs) 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 Like I don't want the, who knows what's coming off the internet and Twitter, right? Yeah. So it's true. I I, I think there is that whole argument about warm introduction versus cold introduction, but you find you're somewhere in between because you're taking warm introductions, but you're creating a lot of opportunity for people to become warm. There's lots of ways. Yeah. We're not do, closed. Speaking of, how do people, they're listening to this, they're like, hey, she's talking my language right now. How do they get in touch with you? How do they go through this process of knowing if it's right for them? We have a website, dianacapitalpartners.com. How do you spell the Diana? D-I-A-N-A. Capitalpartners.com. Dianacapitalpartners.com. So you can, how about we grab coffee? How about I talk to you? I want to see, I want, I don't want this to be a computer system. Not like ClearBank. This is women doing business. I want to know you. I want to have a little rapport and some trust so that you will pay me back and I can help you in other ways. Mm -hmm. We make introductions to investors, make introductions to other corporate buyers for them. We're partnered with three major companies that want more women vendors. Mm -hmm. And the other side of this coin, not only us lending, we want to create more procurement opportunities for women businesses too. We want to help them get the bigger contracts. And it's hard. It's a whole process they may not be aware of, or maybe it's the first time doing it. But getting a big contract from a big company changes the whole landscape, literally overnight. I was going to ask you if it was only in New York where you're based, but I know that's not because you just told me earlier. Yeah. You're in 10 cities a month sometimes. Yes. So you, when you say let's get coffee, you really mean that. Yes. You really mean that. It's, it's not keeping people if yeah. they're in a smaller town. Or if you really are urgent, we can do a video conference. I want to yeah. see your face. And so do you still have events? Because I know you used to do events, I heard. Uh, well, we have this dinner series. Okay. It happens in 20 cities every month and it's very accessible. Okay. As long as you're an open, warm person who's doing interesting things. How do you get invited to that? Hit me up. Hit, hit you up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it is all through that. Should they go to the hatchery or is it more Diane Capital Partners? Diane Capital's for the loans. I keep calling it everything but what it's called. It's <laughs> Diane Capital Partners. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm very accessible on the internet. I'm on every channel. I mean, if you can't find me, you're having a hard time. <laughs> okay. How, do, how about you spell your first name? Y-A-O. Yao. Okay. Yeah. Are you on Twitter, Instagram, and that sort of thing? Very active on Instagram. Okay. Wonder Woman Dinners is on Instagram. Um, Wonder Woman Dinners. Also, there's, there's a theme here. What, what so does that come Diana from? was the secret identity of Wonder Woman. Yeah. And the fund was started with a group of women from the dinners listening to the complaints of other women entrepreneurs mm. and then reverse engineering into this mm. And then figuring that this is a solution that could help a lot of people, not thinking that this is what we wanted to begin with. We, we went about, oh, 98% don't have venture access. Oh, you can't get a loan from the bank because the bank doesn't like how you look. Or better yet, you don't have enough um, collateral or you don't have enough money. You need more money than you can get. All sorts of problems for women companies. And so we're listening to all of these challenges of all flavors and types, and then figuring out, okay, where can we go? Oh, let's look for a business asset we can lend against versus a personal asset. Okay, what could that be? 
right? What do you have? Okay, we can't solve the problem for everyone, but how about the ones that are really gunning it, getting momentum? Let's let's see if we can get them over the finish line. Most businesses that women make do not even pass the million dollar revenue line. How about just get through that? It's a huge milestone. Hmm. At that point, you can hire people. And I guess to wrap things up, you do say a lot that you sort of say the types of companies that women make and how it's been for them. Can you give just a little bit of clarity on how many companies you've spoken to over the past 15 years? Oh, my God. Just if you had to (laughs) guess, because I think that'll help. Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. So this is data. This is data from your experience. And that's just for me. We have four other business partners and we, we've all been investing. We've all been meeting people. We have friends who are building companies. There's a momentum happening right now in our society where people are fed up with corporations. And a lot of them are, at whether they're 20s or their 40s or 50s, leaving with whatever money they have or their friends' support to start something. It's very entrepreneurial. It's very American dreamlike. And they start, and luckily now there's a lot of programming, there's books you can read, there's classes you can attend, and they're learning. But you can't learn everything, and they need more help. And so capital is something they need access to. There's $9 trillion of debt money available in the United States and $130 billion of venture. Why don't we play in the bigger pond? Because even a little tip of that way overshadows all of venture. And it's just another way of looking at it. Either way, you're going to owe someone something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now or later. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I have to say I'm much more fond of the, of the now. Owing them now, paying that off, and owning more equity at the end of the day. Yeah. We don't take any of your company. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. You're <laughs> Thanks welcome. Thanks for, for being a good sport and just jumping in. And, and hey, surprise, I'm going to start doing these, like, pop up. Sure. <laughs> with a microphone. <laughs> um, but it's been great talking to you about this. Thanks. And definitely, you'll get some people hitting you up and, okay. and making some new friends. From sure. This. All right. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen Was Here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N Was Here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. You can also pre-order my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pre-order it at your local indie bookstore. Please do that. Feel free. And online where books are sold, where where great books are sold, if you want to go to a specific link, you can go to itsaboutdamntime.com. That's itsaboutdamntime.com.